0: It's Devin's last semester of mm. grad school. So, are you serious? He's already done. Yeah, almost. We just have to, you know, make it until the end of December.
1: But uh, half tuition, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like that
0: makes up for so. Much.
1: Oh, for reals,
0: yeah. huh? And so he's like all concerned about what he has in student loans, and I was like, you know, most people have twice. <laughs>
1: because you have a half-off degree <laughs> exactly. I feel fantastic and I never felt as good as how I do right now except for maybe when I think about I felt that day when I felt the way that I do right now right now I feel fantastic and I never felt as good as how I do right now except for maybe when I think about I felt that day when I felt the way that I do right now right now right now. Okay, welcome to Mental health moment. I'm Emily. And today our guest is someone who I've known for quite a long time, <laughs> all of her life. Yeah. My baby sister. Aw. We go way back. We go way back. So, this is Becca. Hello. And um first of all, thanks for being here. Yeah. Glad we to be here. We appreciate you. it. So, we we've made it happen. Yeah, we've tried to kind of make this happen for a long time now. Anyway, so Becca has uh Quite an extensive history with mental health stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah. Okay. Um, And so tonight we're going to hear just about her journey and kind of like how she's managed her mental health, pros and cons, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and um, kind of all those things. Um, The thing that I've really appreciated about Becca's journey throughout this whole thing is um, as she's kind of grown up and again, known her since birth, but (laughs) uh, as she's grown up, she's really been trying to share her message about mental health. So let's just kind of get going with learning more about your journey. Uh, Sweet. since it is, it does have quite a few different paths that <laughs> it's, it's a taken. complicated. So let's just get started with the basics. Like how long have you lived with mental illness?
0: Pretty much my whole life. Um, I mean, I was five when I was diagnosed with ADHD, um, and eight when I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, uh, which I feel like is,
1: is really young. So at that age, <laughs> um, like at eight years old, I mean, yeah. I remember being home, you know, mm. and, but I was like in my own world, I was a teenager, so I didn't yeah. actually care about anybody else. <laughs> um, at age eight, like what did you, how did they know you were depressed and anxious? Um, Do you remember back that, that far? I'll, I'll try. Um,
0: the interesting thing is that now many of the providers that I have seen are actually thinking that the ADHD was a misdiagnosis and the depression was started at that point. Mm. Um, so, I mean, when you're five, it's not like you're really great at telling people, you know, using your words. That's how, <laughs> how I feel. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Have you felt sad for mm-hmm. two weeks? because Butterflies. I mean, I can't even keep track of two weeks now, let alone when I was five. Five, right. Um, but I think it was, a lot of it was just behavior patterns at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, those emotions are so big. And when you put them on someone so small, like it becomes very, very hard to cope. Uh-huh. So i mean there 's a lot of acting out there 's a lot of um, i 've always been an introvert, so isolation was always a big one, uh-huh. um, even at age eight, even at eight, um, and actually, by eight,
1: I had already developed some patterns of self harm as well so, so as a little tiny eight year old uh-huh. um, and I think this is something that that not a lot of people know is that even at eight you know, people can have significant, um, major depressive disorder, severe, um, and anxiety, severe anxiety, severe depression. Um, and, and they don't, people don't ever really think about that. You know, Mm -hmm. they think about like when they think of, you know, people who are depressed and they become suicidal, they usually think of adults or teenagers. Right. That
0: seems to be kind of the starting point of when those discussions Mm -hmm. happen, but it was, I was much younger mm-hmm. than that and it was really intense.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so at age eight, you know, you're experiencing all these emotions, mm-hmm. really big emotions. Um, and you're having some self-harm stuff. What does self-harm look like for you at age eight? Cause um, it's not like adult yeah. stuff.
0: <laughs> right. You know, it varies. Everyone kind of has their own little niche and way of coping with things um it you know at that age before eight between five you know five and seven um a lot of it was just uh like banging my head on things um so banging my head on the wall a lot or what it very soon became is i started hitting and punching myself Mm -hmm. um and my biggest target was actually my face, which I'm sure mom and dad really appreciated when I, you know, did have Mm -hmm. black eyes. Um, but that, that was the only way that I felt like I could even gain a small amount of control over everything that was coursing through my body, you know, or feeling just left out or insecure. Um, it was much easier to turn that emotional pain into very real physical pain. Because mm. physical pain is so much easier to dealt with, at least for me. Um, I mean, if it gets really bad, you can take some painkillers if you need to. But for generally with you know people who self-harm, that's what the experience is about. It's about feeling that pain. It's about making it real. It was just like that okay, it's not all in my head. Mm. Um, so it was, it's all about me. Um, Tonight it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the whole self-centered thing. But Except
1: the moments yeah. I make it about me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, those are just as nice to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was, it was just proving that to myself that my pain is real and it matters. Mm. Um, and it's very hard to talk to someone who's in that space, and it's even harder when they're kids because they don't we don't know how to use the appropriate words to describe our emotions and mm-hmm. and to really convey what we're feeling mm-hmm. um, so it was again like that it was just a main coping mechanism for a lot of different reasons, but it was it wasn't being knowledge acknowledged or validated. Validated is probably a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it
1: it was it became easier to deal deal with, and it was real. You know, people or kids tend to manifest their mental health symptoms in physical senses anyway. Right. Like anxiety, kids are dealing with a lot of stomach aches. You know, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, but for some more severe depression and anxiety. It's interesting that a lot of people feel that need to make that pain more physical because then mm-hmm. it's more real, like you said. And I and I yeah. like that explanation of of, you know, it's this it's this very kinda emotions are pretty vague concepts. Yes. Right? Definitely. Like they're not these concrete things. And so then you take a kid who's they're developmental age, Mm -hmm. everything is concrete at that developmental age. And that's the appropriate developmental age. Mm -hmm. Well, of course they're going to try to make something feel real. Right. And that, so that makes, that's a lot, that makes a lot of sense to me. So that started about when you were eight years old yeah. and then kind of take me through (laughs) the next few, well, quickish years. I mean,
0: yeah. I, I mean, there's a whole lot of material there. Um, books, volumes, Probably. yeah. <laughs> it's, cool. it's cool. If I ever get my words back, I'll write some of them. <laughs> um, probably the next big age or turning point was when I was 12. And that's when we adopted our brother. Who at the time of adoption um, wasn't a baby. And, you know, with all of his trauma, there also came a lot of chaos as, as he was trying to figure out life. Um, as mom and dad were trying to figure out life and you know, everyone who was who As was you born. were trying to figure out life? Yeah.
1: Oh, like your whole world turns upside down because Yeah. And so like how did that manifest itself with your mental health?
0: Um, that is when my self harm elevated from hitting and punching to cutting. Mm. Um and and you know, it's not an uncommon thing for yeah. self-harm to involve or to evolve into that at all. Um, but that seemed to be the catalyst at that point. Um, and it's interesting because at that time I, that's also when I started manifesting the signs and behaviors of anorexia as well. So my eating disorder kind you know, came fully into play and with all of the chaos i also needed control so the food became the one thing that i felt i could absolutely control it's not like you ever think when you're in the middle of it you don't ever think of it in those terms exactly right you just feel like driven to do it um and it you know there were many more elements that came into play with well, with both the eating disorder and, um, cutting and self-harm and it, you know, each issue involved and became more and more complex and
1: mm-hmm.
0: complicated to talk about and to work
1: through. So through this whole process, um, when did you start therapy? Cause I know like mom had you in therapy for a long time.
0: Yeah. I remember, I think I was like six is the first time that I ever went to see. I I don't remember if he was a psychiatrist or psychologist, um, but I think he handled he handled meds as well. But we also did um, therapy, and I mean, what you do with kids to get them to talk is you play, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so sorry became our game that we played every single week. Um, and to this day, it's still one of my favorite games. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and he taught me to to shuffle cards and to do the bridge. And that actually came into play much later as something I would do to put off cutting. Mm. Um, you know, because feel like I need to do something with my hands. Keep them busy. Yeah. Um, just so I can keep my mind off of it cutting long enough to, you know, be at a safe distance from it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would just spend hours just shuffling cards, um, as, as I tried to process things mentally. Um, and, and sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't.
1: And, you know, I think right here is kind of where it's like, I think a lot of people think of like depression and anxiety as kind of just this thing of like, okay, well, you get through it and then you're better, you know? And, um, I think some people can go through stressful times and it can be a very kind of finite amount of time that Mm -hmm. they're like, okay, this is my stressor. This was really hard, you know, divorce, death something significant yeah. and people can have, um, that kind of single episode depression. But when people are dealing with like some significant major depressive disorder, recurrent mm. severe stuff, you know, it's, it's never going to go away. Right. You know, and, but what I love about, you know, what you've said so far is, is you've taken tools that you learned when you were as young as six. Yeah. You know, when you were itty bitty and you were like, okay, these are still tools in my toolbox, mm-hmm. and on dark days, I'm going to utilize these. They're not always going to work, but I'm trying them. Yeah. So kind of just fast-forwarding a little bit throughout the kind of rest. Mm-hmm. So throughout junior high, high school, um, depression, anxiety, anorexia stuff, we're all there. Yeah. We're all present. Um, you experienced some hospitalizations, mental health hospitalizations. Uh, yes. Inpatient um, stuff. Yes.
0: The youngest was... I think I was 16. I was in like sophomore, junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that point, cutting had escalated from, you know, isolated instances to a full on addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would cut for no reason. I would ha- wear hoodies all the time and I would, you know, put my hands in my pocket and i would cut my wrists during assemblies. And maybe it was just because my life felt so constantly chaotic that that's what I felt I needed to do um, or if it was just in and of itself an addictive way to manage the emotions mm-hmm. um, and no, yeah, I yeah I think that was around like sophomore year um, and then I was hospitalized for a, a week at primary children's um super fantastic facility like the employees are great um and they they were really helpful and in some ways i felt like well i didn't belong there because i i wasn't nearly as severe as as these and it it wasn't necessarily a matter of severity it was just um cope like how do we cope with it yeah um and after I got out of primaries, I did a day treatment program. Um, it was then at that point that I got to experience different forms. Um, you know, instead of just behavioral therapy, it you know you had a lot more exposure to physical activities, to um, like rec therapy. Yeah, uh-huh. rec therapy. Um, either they had one person who taught crocheting um mm-hmm. you know just as another alternative of keeping your hands
1: busy let's kind of go to the more recent events because i think that yeah. is something that <laughs> we hear about happening in mental health as a treatment mm-hmm. um pros and cons you know right. so um so tell me about um ECT Oh, that How old were you?
0: I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A VCT. Right. Memory loss. Yeah. It goes so deep with me. Um, Let's see, it was 2015,
1: so like 27. Okay. So, uh, from, please correct me if I'm wrong, but Mm -hmm. like from what I remember of the situation was, um, the doctors had talked to you and your husband about, um, kind of like what other options you had, because you had right. tried so many medications and so many didn't work yeah. and you had tried, you know, all these other things and they weren't working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so the doctors suggested ECT, which is electroconvulsive therapy. Yes. So what does that mean? They make, they do,
0: um, it involved being put under general anesthesia. Um so which, sedated. Yeah. Which is also completely necessary. Um, and after you are asleep, I mean, you're hooked up to all of these different things and they're able to trigger a seizure. Um, and, you know, your seizure is supposed to last less than a minute. Um, and then... You're brought out of anesthesia and you're put in recovery, um, which usually took quite a while. You wake up, you know, oftentimes sick uh, with a horrible headache, Mm -hmm. which makes sense considering your brain was just electrocuted. Right. Um, And, you know, so you just spend an hour or two there as you kind of became more physically aware of Mm -hmm. your surroundings um, and to kind of wait for the initial wave of symptoms to pass. Um, and then they would, you'd get in a wheelchair and they'd wheel you back to your room and you would sleep almost a full 20 plus hours. Then you'd go to your next treatment. Hmm.
1: Um, so for those who aren't familiar with kind of this form of therapy, mm -hmm. um, my understanding is it, is it can be pretty controversial controversial yeah um and but i also understand the viewpoint of like but we've tried everything else yeah and so it, what else is there to it try? was
0: very much that circumstance of like between a rock and a hard place mm-hmm. um you know i had ruled out most <laughs> available meds on the market i mean mm-hmm. all of the ssris and snris um And I had been in all sorts of therapy and I had tried, um, you know, incorporating like meditation stuff into therapy as well. And it just, it was very much like, okay, if we don't life or death situation, literally, like if I was not treated and was released without anything changing, there is no doubt that I would have ended my own life. Um, And so it's, well, you're, you'll risk everything to have
1: everything. So kind of with that, um, you, you know, I know that you did those sessions, you did the Mm -hmm. initial 12 sessions, um, and then you did several booster sessions.
0: Yeah. So it, the ECT worked spectacularly for a little less than a month, um, (laughs) And, and that's not a typical, right. You're supposed to, you know, at the end of a series, the general idea is that you will do that many treatments in such a short amount of time, but then you will just do a booster session Mm -hmm. as needed, you know, every few weeks, a month, a little more. And so after that month, but it went really well. I crashed and burned harder than I ever had before, which is saying something. Um, and it, you know, landed me right back in the hospital because I, I could not keep myself safe. Um, and so I went back and they did a full booster series at that point. Yeah. Um, And then they they try to wean you off of it, so to speak, and I could never go more than three to four days without having a treatment, um, which is not sustainable.
1: And I know for some people who have done ECT, they have had very different results. Oh, yes. Right? So, and that's something that I do want to make sure that people know is, is, you know, if your doctor or if your treatment team do talk to you about that as a possibility, I mean, definitely talk with your whole treatment team, I think, and consider the options. I think for you, you know, it it was not helpful and it caused a lot of side effects. Um, you're Mm -hmm. currently dealing with significant memory loss.
0: Yes. Which is supposed to, in theory, your memory is supposed to rebound within a year. Um, and you're supposed to get most, if not all of your memories back and it's only supposed to affect short term. I don't remember the vast majority of three to five years mm. um, so I I have almost no memory of my youngest daughter being born um, and the first three plus years of her life um, and it you know something with my brain it just affected it a little differently and um, it affected both short term and long term and my ability to form new memories mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there were a lot of other side effects as well. Like word finding is something I really struggle with. And so I think with any treatment, there's definitely pros and cons and like whether or not it's right for you. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. And that's a discussion you should have with your providers to, before.
1: making that. Definitely. And, and I think, you know, just kind of going back through your experiences, what you've talked about, it's like, you know, throughout your whole experience, maybe like, one therapist wasn't the end all be all for you, you know, one right. modality wasn't the end all be all for you, but, but you were able to gain skills throughout the whole course of different therapies mm. and different treatments, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, but for you, what has been the most helpful part for your mental health journey?
0: Honestly, I would say my current psychologist. Um, I mean, she was, with me before I started ECT. I mean, not terribly long, less than a year. Um, But she was with me throughout and after the ECT. And uh, so she sees the differences. She has been with me on such an incredible journey. Um, And and having her, I mean... we just kind of click, which yeah. I think with some providers you you do just click, and others you're like, and eh, I can tolerate you, and <laughs> you know. Other yeah. we're not gonna work. Um, and and she and I can really connect. Um, you know, she's taken me from my absolute lowest and helped me find the absolute best that I have ever been. And you know, there are always still highs and lows, ups and downs. Um,
1: Because it's a lifelong journey.
0: Yeah. Like like you said earlier, it just doesn't just go away. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just having... And that's also probably what has been the most helpful is... I'm not relying just on one person for support. Like, Mm -hmm. I have built an entire network of people. Um, And I, I mean, I see her twice a week and I see my primary care once a week. And I see my psychologist or psychiatrist once every four weeks. Yeah. You know, that other one that's in your head a lot. Um, and you know, I have to check in with Devin all the time and my husband. Um, and it, you know, we set it up. So that I, even if I try to fail, I can't, yeah.
1: <laughs> and i I love that. I love that you have worked so hard at managing your mental health, just knowing that there's going to be really dark times and yeah. knowing that there's going to be you know really hard moments, but in those um, when the stuff is good, that's when you build your network. And that's when you focus on, look, I have not only one person, but I have this whole network who are going to hold me accountable for my mental health Mm -hmm. and keep me in check with my mental health. Yeah. I love that.
0: Definitely. And it's like you said, it's something you do in the good times. (laughs) I mean, you can't just be like, oh, no, I'm good. And then a dark time hits and then try to build your network Um, because you're just not in the right frame of mind Mm -hmm. for any of that. Above all else, I want people to realize that they are not alone. Um, You know, talking about everything I've been through hasn't always been the easiest thing to do. and And I still go through phases with it. Um, But there are people who relate to you. There are people who want to be there for you and who will help you. And I think one of the most common things is like people just won't understand Mm -hmm. um but if you're going through it you deserve to be heard um and and your story is no less important or more important than anyone else's the darkness is real um but so is the love and support and light that you can find Mm. and also the dark times don't last forever You can't do it on your own.
1: No. Mental health, I think. I mean, it it does take all of us to kind of band together and and, and really fight that kind of depressed brain that's like, but you're all alone. And everyone else is like, no, you're not. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Bex, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I've loved this. Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Also, we'd like to thank Jonathan Colton for the music. Um, please remember to like, and subscribe to help us get the word out so we can continue to advocate and reduce the stigma of mental illness. And we also want to just make sure that we're constantly increasing our focus on our mental health wellness. Yes. Um, if you could review, rate and review us just so people can find us, that would be awesome. I would say I would give you a prize, but I got nothing. (laughs) I would give you like a high five in my mind. But also please remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, iTunes and Google Play and we'll see you next time bye. I feel fantastic And I never felt as good as how I would do right now except for maybe when I think about I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now. right now I feel fantastic. And I never felt as good as how I would do right now except for maybe when I think about about that day, when I felt the way that I do right now right now, right now.